How will I face this mountain ahead of me? Will I spend time studying how big the mountain is? Or will I trust that my God is bigger? Will I fear what lies in wait on the other side of the mountain? Or will I trust that my God goes ahead of me? Will I lose focus on where I am headed? Or will I trust my God to guide my steps? How will I face this mountain? Great to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series today. It's going to take us the next several weeks, uh, as you can see from the title, Facing Incredible Odds. And we're going to be looking at some stories that have that as a common theme. Uh, and you know what? Today you may be here, and this is just really, really good timing because you find yourself uh, facing a situation that may be overwhelming or uh, a huge challenge, not sure where to turn, and you just need some inspiration from God's Word, and that's what. That's what we're going to be doing here in the next few minutes. Today's story, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Uh, and if you want to begin to turn there, and, and as the ushers are handing out Bibles to those of you that might want to get their attention and use one of those today, uh, just want to say thanks to Scott last week for the great job he did on uh, preaching. Holy Spirit, awesome job. Appreciate it. It was inspired. Uh, I happened to be last week at... Uh, at a church just uh, north of here, the, uh, the Cornwall Church, which was my former church. I pastored this church from 1985 to 1993, my first church that I pastored. And um, one of the joys when I got there was a very small church when we got there, and it began to grow, and, and I brought my very first staff person on. He was a youth pastor. His name was Bob Marvel. And he was like a little brother to me. His dad was my mentor, and uh, and Bob came on, and when I left, the church was wise enough to choose him as their next senior pastor. And so he was celebrating his 25 years as senior pastor at the church. And they invited me back for the weekend to share, and they had a big celebration. And, uh, you know, it's really weird because it's only an hour north, but I, there were folks that I had not seen probably since that time, 25 years ago. And just to see some of the fruit and uh, the influence and the stories just by the chance of being there. It was really quite a rich, rich weekend. And I thought, you know, for this weekend, as we're looking at, at this story, um, today's in particular, I think, is about finishing strong. Uh, we're going to look at a person's life that spans over the beginning and then many years later and just kind of learn some lessons. And just one thing from last weekend stands out. Uh, during, during this service, uh, there was a gal that was there that was there 25, 30 years ago when I went there to, as pastor, and her, they were kind of the pillars of the church, and she's 105 years old now, 105 years old. Her name is Helen, Helen Kristen, and, and when I saw her at the service, man, I, I couldn't wait to go up and just greet her, and I did, and she just started weeping and say, oh, Pastor Ken, you know, and, and right, out, right out of the gate, she goes, you know, I've been sharing... <laughs> 105 years old, remember. I've been sharing with this doper that lives across the street from me. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you're worried about her, I mean, she's got a caregiver and her family's right nearby and she's in very good hands, all right? So it might sound pretty kind of precarious, but she says, um, 
She says, I invited him over, and she said, I shared the Lord with him, and that Jesus loves him. And she says, I'm looking for Pastor Bob to, to ask him if he's shown up at church yet, because he said he was going to come to church. 105 years old, so what's your excuse, all right? <laughs> you know what I mean? This, this, she was so inspiring. She always has been. And, uh, and it's one of the reasons why this church is making such a great influence up in Whatcom, Whatcom County. That small little church now is probably 2,500 folks that gather there regularly. Uh, huge impact in that area. And I'm so proud of Bob, and, and uh, it was just a great celebration. So thanks for affording me the opportunity, but you were in good hands last week with, uh, with Pastor Scott. Today, uh, we, we are going to look at a story. For some of you, this might be new. Maybe you've never heard about him before, but... There are some huge lessons uh, from the life we're going to be examining today. If you, if you look at Bible history, uh, the book of Kings, the book of Chronicles is particularly what travels over hundreds of years of uh, the history of Israel. Uh, you, you'll follow, and if, again, if you're just getting acquainted, uh, Saul was the first king of Israel, and then he passed on to David. David was the kind of consummate, the, the model king, if you will. And then David's son was Solomon. Uh, and Solomon asked for wisdom to be a good, a good leader of Israel. And his son, Rehoboam, was the one where things kind of started heading south, okay? And they divided the kingdom. So the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin uh, became Judah. And then Israel was the other ten tribes at that point. Now, if you, you travel through these books and you read about these kings, their lives are summed up within a chapter or two. And the rarest thing that you're going to read when you read about them is these words. They did right in the eyes of the Lord. You don't read that very often. In fact, if you, if you just look at it on the surface, um, there were 20 kings of Judah. And eight of those kings would be even roughly dis considered godly. And five of them were, were really reformers, all right? They were, uh, they were revivalists, if you will. They, they tried to bring them back to the right place. One of those is the one we're looking at, and he was the first of those. His name is King Asa, all right? Jehoshaphat, his son, also would be in that category. Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. Those are the five kind of revivalist kings of Judah out of the 19 kings. Israel had 20 kings, and, uh, and, and all of them were evil, okay? There's not a one that it was said they did right in the eyes of the Lord, so you look at that kind of a landscape, there's something we can learn today and I think uh, grow and apply hopefully to our life to learn the lessons both on the positive side and on the negative side uh, from, from their journey. So we're gonna pray and just ask the Lord to help us as we understand this. I wanna pray for Luigi and Michaela. They're leaving for Italy tomorrow and we're so grateful for the time we've got to spend with them. Pray a blessing over their life and their ministry. So could we do that? Fathers, we bow before you. We, we do so humbly acknowledging your spirit is in this room with us right now. We know that you know us better even than we know ourselves, and you know what, what we need. Uh, we know your word is just that. It's your word to us. And I pray that we'll be open to hear what you have. God, help us to look at ourselves honestly, humbly, and uh, be open to make adjustment and change where necessary, where the spirit points things out to us. So I, I trust in the next few minutes as that happens that um, we, we will approach that with, with a great uh, reverence and, and an obedient heart. We pray, Lord, today for Luigi Michaela, and we thank you for her testimony of healing power. This is something that is, is so 
inspiring, and in light of what we're talking about, facing incredible odds, she was facing incredible odds, and her trust and reliance upon you and all the others, Lord, who are lifting uh, her up in prayer, we see you at work, and we want to say out loud thank you for uh, your mercy and for your healing uh, that was revealed. So we trust you now that uh, as they move uh, move back to their home and their ministry. Give them strength. Give them encouragement and inspiration, Lord, as they carry this out. It's hard work, Lord. And uh, we just pray, God, that, uh, that they will see great fruit as a result of their faithfulness. Be with us now as we open up your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What we're going to do, if you have your notes handy, we're going to look at this, uh, this story today kind of in the backdrop of a play, okay? Three scenes, or three acts, if you will. Uh, three distinct chapters of King Asa. And I'm gonna kind of go walk you through this and just kind of look at some of these highlights along the way. And then at the end of that, we'll go back and revisit and, and maybe lift out two or three lessons that we can apply, uh, hopefully, in our lives uh, as well. I'm picking up in Second Chronicles chapter 14. And as it starts off, it says, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for 10 years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars, and he cut down the ashram and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. He also took out all of the cities of Judah, the high places, and the in, in incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. I want to stop right there. If the curtain was rising on Act 1, I want us to first take a look at what we'll call Asa's service to the Lord or ministry to the Lord. Okay? You read right out of the gate as, as he summed up his whole life that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I, I, by the way, wouldn't you love to have your life summed up that way? <laughs> they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's going to translate into our action and in our behavior, friends. It's going to be in the things that we carry out in obedience to the Lord. And what he did is described is he broke down these altars. He took away the foreign altars. And the high places, he broke down the pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord. I find it interesting that not only there, but it says in verse 3, he took away the, those, uh, the high places. It also says in verse 5, he took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. Now, I want you to take note of that, all right? This is going to be meaningful as we get ahead just in a few minutes. What he did was, was extremely courageous. He was a committed guy. You can't help but see the zeal and the passion that he had uh, to carry out the things uh, of God. And you've got to wonder, where did that come from? His mother certainly wasn't an example. He had no training in godliness. We'll read later that she was actually deposed because of her idolatry and her commitment to, to the idols. Uh, his father, Abijah, wasn't a whole lot better. And so he, he didn't get it from the training that was passed down. There was no modeling. And you just have to believe God raised him up, and he, he had this experience, and he trusted God, and it carried out in his activities 
by what he was, was willing to do as far as the reforms. And we're calling this uh, kind of the reforms or, or brought revival back to the people and called them to seek the Lord. You're going to read a little later uh, in, in chapter 15 that he did, did the same thing later on uh, during his reign. Uh, not only that, but he, there was a rebuilding that took place. Scripture records that he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. Uh, back in biblical times like this, the city and the condition of the city was almost indicative or symbolic of the spiritual uh, well-being of, of their society. If you had walls that were built up, it meant you were secure, that you were safe, that, uh, you know, that, that there was strength that was there, there was confidence, there was assurance. All these things would be associated to a city. That's why later on in the book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the walls, why it was so important to get those walls built back up because that was an indication of their spiritual health. And so this is what he addresses as well. On top of that, he strengthened the army and his army grew to about 580,000 soldiers. That's a pretty good-sized army, you know, for those times and, and biblical times. And so all that he was doing uh, was out of his love and respect for the Lord, his reverence for God, and, um, and, 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 and he was very successful. In fact, it says at the end that the Lord, as a result of this, gave him peace all, all around that was the reward for seeking the Lord and causing the people to, to seek the Lord. Well, after 10 years, uh, there's a test. And we read about that. This is act two, if you will. This is his salvation. And as he is tested, we begin the scene by the challenge or the danger that was impending upon them. Look at verse 9. It says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and they came as far as Marasha. Now think about this, friends. You've got 580,000, which is a pretty fair army, but the one coming against you is a million. You're almost outnumbered two to one. That's why Asa qualifies for our series, Facing Incredible Odds. All right, would you say those are incredible odds? Two to one. What are you going to do? What does he do? Well, so far, you know, the 10 years, we've already got a pattern. We've got kind of a history, and we, we know that he was courageous and he was bold. And now he builds on that because the first thing we read when he finds out about this army coming at him is where does his dependence come from? Where is it truly there? You're not really going to know until you're tested, right? And now he's tested, and the first thing he does is he cried to the Lord his God, O oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O oh Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. He's basically saying the battle belongs to the Lord. Friends, if you read that prayer very carefully, you're going to see humility. He's going to, he's going to recognize he's weak and he can't do it himself. But he's also confessing that God is stronger than any man. And so he is declaring the might of God Almighty, 
Those are the two things, and that's what we can learn when we're facing those kinds of odds. As we, we fall back, and I hope for every one of us today that that's our, that's our instinct is to, when we face those and we don't know what we're gonna do, when we feel overwhelmed, when it just seems like everything's crashing in around us, that we instinctively call upon God. Lord, you are God. You're, you're more powerful. You're more mighty than anything that's out there. Nothing's impossible for you. And oh, by the way, we're pretty weak. We don't have it. We don't have this capacity. And so he cries to God, and what does God do? He answers his prayer, and they are delivered. Pretty straightforward. One sentence, one line, and it basically says, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Okay? So there we have it, all right? Now, he gets a visit, and I'm not quite sure chronologically where this falls, because he's kind of summing up, it seems like, the conditions before Asa was king, and so we're not sure where it's at, <clears throat> but I know that this was the 10-year mark when they faced the Ethiopians, and then in a moment we're gonna fast forward to the 36-year mark. But verse uh, one in chapter 15, if you're glancing there in your Bibles, look at the, what he says. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was out without the true God and without the teaching priests and without the law, but when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him, he was found by them. Basic principle. He's saying, if you keep your eyes on the Lord, you keep seeking him, you put your care and your trust in him, God's gonna be with you. That's a basic principle. But likewise, if you depart from him, and you start taking matters into your own hand and you think you know better than God, guess what's gonna happen? You're not gonna, you're not gonna have the experience of his peace. You're not gonna have his rest. In fact, it'll probably be replaced by chaos. And I, thought, I, I would guess everyone in this room has watched this experience, maybe personally, that when you've taken a different course, you've found that it's like a headwind. It's like you're going against it and, it, it, and you just find that that things just don't fall in place. They don't happen well. And that may be your experience now. I don't know. There may be chaos more marking your life. Problems, trouble, distress, discouragement, depression, all these kinds of things. When, when we kind of take our own course, those are the things that follow. The Lord basically is saying, if you'll seek me, you will find me, and there will be rest, and there will be peace. And so that first verse said he had peace all this time while he was seeking him. And this prophet confirms that, okay? So now, now we get to kind of this third, third act. And as the curtain rises, something happens here that, that if you pay close attention, there's a powerful lesson for every one of us. Now I find this interesting, and here's where I just gotta interject with you guys. Um, several weeks ago, when, when I was kind of living with this and and just uh, listening to the Lord's word for me personally, 
Uh, I've said this out loud several times, but one of my deep desires <laughs> these days in this season of my life and ministry is to finish strong. And a few weeks ago, I had pulled away. Uh, I call them study breaks, but it's just kind of a time to, to just kind of hear the Lord and, and where he wants us to go and teaching things like this and, and writing. And, and during that week I was away, uh, there was a pastor that's had great influence on my life and a lot on the church in America. I'd met this pastor back in 1987, and I watched over those years of this influence growing. Um, and unfortunately, that very week that I was on this break, he had to stand before his, his congregation after 42 years of ministry and resign under a cloud of suspicion with his uh, moral behavior. And lots of articles written and everything, and I was just trying to see, see what this is. And I, I can't tell you the, the hours, you know, that I'd heard and sat under his teaching and listened, listened to the message and the inspiration as a pastor to keep your eye on, on, on the right thing and have boundaries and all these things that were very good things. And yet now the very life that was there was coming under the suspicion. And I think I mentioned this to you two or three weeks ago, but it just has really caught my attention and consequently, the Lord brought me to this story. And this is why it got my attention, is that now, if you read literally, Asa is in his 36th year, 36th year of his reign, and I started doing the math. I started the ministry in 1982 as a pastor in Muskogee, Oklahoma. You do the math, it's 2018. How many years is that? 36 years. And you're going to find that Aza does something that just is a head-scratcher. And the last five years of his ministry, I, it would be marked by failure. All these years he was seeking the Lord. And you saw the promise unfold. All the things that God promised, they, they accompanied him. Now what happens? Well, here's what happens. As the, the scene rises, it's going so good that these other tribes of Israel are beginning to defect and come over to Judah. The tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Ephraim, it says they're coming over there because they saw that the Lord was blessing them, all right? So the king of Israel, Baasha, he, he didn't like this, and so he goes as far south as he can, as close to the border of Judah. The town there is called Ramah, and he fortifies Ramah so that he can essentially create what we call a siege. Uh, he, he's... he's keeping people from leaving Israel to go into Judah, and he's kind of keeping Judah from coming out of there. So, so he's, he's putting the pressure on Judah. And what does Asa do? Earlier, Asa would have cried to the Lord and trusted the Lord, but in this case, here's what he does. And this is what I'm, I'm calling the treachery, all right? This is the scene, the treachery. This is what he does. He takes money from the treasury of the house of the Lord, and he goes to uh, an enemy king, Ben-Hadad of Syria. And he pays him off to go against Baasha and to battle and to fight him so that Baasha will abandon this plan of a siege against Judah. You guys with me so far? Okay. And here's the deal. It works. It works. Baasha can't stand it. He, he flees. He, uh, he abandons the plan, and everything seems to be just, just great. And I want to say a footnote right here. Guys, there are some times when we take matters into our own hands, and it's not what God has designed for us. 
We come up with our own scheme, our own plan, and, and, and we're not relying on the Lord. We're trusting in something totally different, and it actually works, and we somehow think because it was successful that God must have blessed that. And I want to say today that's not the case necessarily. There are times when, you know what, all may seem good, but in this case, another prophet comes to pay him a visit. His name is Hanani. Look at it. It's, uh, I recorded that in verse 7 of chapter 16. He says, At that time Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. What is he saying? He's saying, if you would have turned to the Lord and you would have trusted the Lord, this arch enemy over here, Syria, you would have defeated that enemy. You would have also defeated Israel if you would have trusted me. But now both of them have escaped as a result of you taking matters into your own hand and going this direction. And then Hanani says, you've done a foolish thing. You've done a really foolish thing. By the way, wasn't a lot of job security for prophets back in those times. <laughs> All right? Not a very pleasant thing. Uh, and, and you read what the result was, and here's what we're calling the tragedy. You know, if, if Asa would have been more like his great-great-great-grandfather David, he would have probably, when he heard those words, kind of like when Nathan came to, to approach David and call out his sin, he would have said, oh, God, what have I done? Read Psalm 51 of David's heart, and he says, oh, God, have mercy on me. What have I done? Don't take your spirit from me. And there's a humility that's there. That's why he had a heart after God. That's what that heart looks like. Asa, on the other hand, what does he do with the prophet? He puts him in prison. Then like what he said, puts him in prison. It says he was angry with the seer, and he put him in stocks in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. He didn't just take it out on Asa the prophet. But his anger spilled over to everybody. You ever noticed him? Have you ever noticed when somebody is not right with God and there's chaos and there's, there's just uh, stuff going on in their heart that it starts spilling on everybody around them? You've heard me say this. Hurt people hurt people. Somebody comes after you with some velocity and, with, uh, and just meanness and they're harsh, there's a very good chance that there's some hurt that's going on that they've not resolved. And that's what Asa's doing. God's trying to get his attention. He loves him. He's trying to redeem him, call him back. Friends, sometimes he does it the hard way, and in this case, he sends a disease. Three years into it now. Remember the 36th year? He kind of makes this decision. Now you're in the 39th year, and it says Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe, and yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord but he sought help from physicians. Now, got to point out, he's not talking about our kinds of doctors or the medical profession, okay? He's not talking about physicians per se. The guys we're talking about here were more out of um, sorcery or black magic, they might call it. They were pagan, and, and, and so it was a totally different type of a setting, but he put his trust in that rather than going and relying upon the Lord. What a sad picture. And he dies in that condition. Some of you might be one step ahead of me and you're thinking, Pastor, I thought we started this off and it said that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
You know, it's interesting because his whole life was summed up. And you're going to find even those guys, they're not perfect. David wasn't perfect, right? David slipped up pretty bad, and he paid for it. And there were consequences for the rest of his days. But there are lessons for us to learn. Lessons for us to learn. He set a course for 36 years where he sought the Lord, and they experienced the blessings and the benefits. And that's why, that's why I'm humbly paying attention to this these days. And there are several lessons that we're learning. And I want to pass these on to you real quick. Here's the first one. When we face incredible odds, when that mountain, like we saw in the trailer, when that mountain's in front of us and we're thinking, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? I think the first lesson I learned from this story was don't forget what God has done in the past. Recount it. Remember it. Say it over again. Say it out loud. Share it with somebody. You know, I remember when God did work this way. In that we heard a testimony a few moments ago, and I'm sure Michaela's never going to forget how God has delivered her from what seemed to be impending death. That's a moment, wouldn't you say? She was facing incredible odds. And, and yet God delivered her. And I would imagine those of you who are on this journey as a, a believer in the Lord, that you're going to have numerous, numerous cases where God has interjected, where he is, he's come into the, the story and he's delivered you. And all you have to do is go back and recount that. Have you guys discovered how quickly we tend to forget? You think the Lord knows that? Could that, be, could that be one of the reasons why each week we come together, we hold a little piece of bread and a cup that represent his body and his blood? Because he knows that we need to remember that sacrifice. Otherwise, we, we may have a tendency to forget. The one that really gets me are the children of Israel that were delivered out of the Egyptians' hands and what it took to get them there. I mean, they, the plagues and all the other stuff, and then they're going through, and they're, they're going on the way, and they're all going, where are we going, Moses? Oh, I'm not sure, but God's going to lead us, you know. And then they get up against the Red Sea, and the army's bearing down, and they don't know. You talk about overwhelming odds. And the, the sea opens up right in front of their eyes, and they go through it, and then it closes up on the Egyptian army, last that they're going to see of them. Do you know how long it took for them to forget all that? Read, read Exodus 15 too. Three days it took them. Three days. And they were going right back to grumbling and saying, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. Can you believe that? That's the truth. And he knows our propensity. Friends, we need to remember. Remember what God has done. That's the first thing. This second thing is probably what prompted me to do this message in the first place. This is, this is what the Lord specifically was speaking to me several weeks ago. Because as I was reading through this, here's the question I asked as I approached this story. How, why, did he, why did he do this after 36 years of being faithful? What, what was the change? What was the difference? What happened? And there was this little clue that just leaped off the page. You want me to show it to you? It's in chapter 15. And that second time around when Azariah, when he was telling him, if you, if you seek the Lord, he'll be found. But if you forsake him, he won't. And you read and you, you pick it up and you find that, that Asa said, man, when he heard these words, he, he continued to clean things up. He continued to reform. He continued to get rid of the altars and the idols and, and all these things. And then they had this big sacrifice 
uh, in verse 10, they, they were gathered in Jerusalem in the third month and they sacrificed thousands of sheep and all that. I mean, this guy was zealous for the Lord, right? Down in verse 16, even Maka, his mother, the king, Asa removed from being queen because she had made a detestable images of the Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. But here's what stood out. Verse 17, but the high places were not taken out of Israel. Did you guys remember I said a little later from what we said at the first? Twice in the first few verses it said, he addressed the high places. 36 years later, he doesn't address the high places. Now think about that. I suppose that at that point, he might be thinking, wow, I'm just kind of tired. I've been doing this, I've been, I've been zealous about this, and you know, the good bulk of, of my life has been following the Lord because it says, it says it right there that he did not take out the high places. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And I thought, could it be, Lord, sometimes that I'm saying, you know, when I look at the whole span of my life and my ministry, I haven't blown it, you know, too bad. I mean, not, not egregious, you know. I've got my, 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 my faults and I've got the mistakes and the stumbling along the way, but... I've never had to stand in front of you and admit moral failure or something like that, you know, that could disqualify your ministry, things like that. And I think, you know, I could probably pat myself on the back, 36 years of ministry, you know, this has been a pretty good run. And I stop and I think, yeah, but am I allowing or do I ever allow these little things over here? And they, you know, those aren't the, those aren't the biggies, right? And we all have that, right? We come up with all kinds of of excuses maybe to allow this one small thing. And I guess what I'm just saying for us today is that if we somehow come to the notion that those little things don't matter to God, I think the Lord's saying to us today, they, they indeed matter to him. And in fact, that may be the very thing that's been like a Trojan horse that's been allowed to creep in and not be addressed. And then you see the whole thing unravel like in Aza's life. Does that... Does that make any sense at all as you see this unfold? Could it possibly be the contrast later that he allowed those to, to continue on, those high places? Took care of the big important matters. But I think what God's saying to us, he's saying to me is, you better pay attention to the whole thing, everything. And what God is looking for is a heart that is wholly committed to him. And that, that, I think, is the third lesson today, and that is to completely trust God in each of these cases. You know, as life goes on, the challenges might change, the scenery might change, uh, the scenarios might change. But guys, you know that it, it's only a matter of when. It's not if, it's when the next challenge will come, and the question will be, in that moment, will I trust God? When I go through this particular trial, will I trust God? The next time I'm tested, will I instinctively fall back and rely upon God, or am I gonna somehow think, oh, I've gotta come up with my own plan and my own strategy, my own, own way of dealing with that? And I think he's just simply saying, like they did back when they were hitting the sweet spot, 
Back in Chronicles 15, 14, they swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all of their heart and they had sought him with their whole desire. I couldn't help but see those words. It's everything. It's complete. And it says, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Is there a person in the room today that wouldn't like the peace that God has, has available to you, the rest that he has made available to you? I know that's a huge challenge for me. You know, and even, even in what we do in the ministry and things like that, we can be so engaged and so involved and, and to be able to rest and fall back and just trusting and relying upon the Lord, uh, it, it just puts a huge smile on his face when we do that, when we trust him in that fashion. And today, as we get ready for prayer, this is what I'm calling us to. Would you be willing today to take the next few moments and just allow the Spirit to search your heart for anything that you may have tucked away, maybe back in the back recesses of your heart, the closet, let's call it, and you've got something under lock and key, and you know it's there, and it's been there, and you're saying, oh, well, well that, that's a small thing compared to the big things, right? Maybe today's the day the Lord says, no, that's the very thing that may be tripping you up, the very thing, and we need to drag that out into the light, bring it before the Lord, and trust Him with that. Ask Him to, to heal it, to deliver us, to cleanse it, whatever, whatever it is that 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 looks like that God, that God can deliver you from that. He is trustworthy. Amen? Well, let's go to him and talk to him about it, right? Would you stand with me? We're going to close and uh, want to pray for you and with you. Our worship team is going to sing a, a song. We're going to share some, a song that will confess, uh, hopefully, the, the desire of our heart. But before we do, let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, it says. And days like this are times when it takes us down to places that, that might be uncomfortable. Obviously, it was uncomfortable for Asa to hear the word of the Lord from Hanani. And there may be somebody in the room right now that, that they just don't want to go there. They don't want to visit that area. And you know, it's, that's something they have within their control and their power to to keep something locked up that way. But we know that the consequence of that, the price that is paid is the peace that you have made available. And we want that peace. Lord, today, would you examine our heart and if there is something uh, that is unsurrendered, that we may have minimized, played down, that today uh, we hear your your words and that we bring them out in the open into your light Lord would you cleanse us would you set us free would you deliver us uh, from uh, from whatever it is that uh, that that you are detecting or that we are recognizing right now and God we're going to trust you uh, in the days ahead, that as it, it may try to continue to rear its ugly head, that we'll just keep trusting you uh, for your power over that. 
God, I pray that we can learn from this example. I know that's why it's in the Scriptures. That's why it's been recorded these thousands of years is so that today we could hear a fresh word from you. Let us learn from this example, both from the positive that if we seek you, we, we will find you if we seek you with all of our heart. But also let us learn uh, from Asa's failure uh, to be diligent, to be focused. And Lord, help us to pay attention uh, to the things that you're saying to us. You, you truly are the one that we give our hearts to today, and we're going to... Uh, we're going to trust you that everything that you say to us is going to be for our good because you are a good, good Father. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Let us know if we can come alongside of you, okay? It would be great for you to connect with somebody. If there's something specifically the Lord is saying, share, share it with somebody. That's one way you can bring it out in the open. Uh, many of the pastors, the elders are available back in the prayer room, wherever. Seek somebody out, and, uh, and let's take it to the Lord today. Before we close, though, let, let, let's sing this words as a testimony of, of what he's saying to us. <laughs>